Thank you for joining us for our Renewal City Church podcast. If you're looking for ways to get involved, join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Roxy Theater in Longview, or find us online at rcclongview.org. We hope you're blessed and that this message finds you well. Uh, Our Advent readers read our traditional verse for week one, the Hope Week of Advent, and um, and I caught it when uh, Olivia read it and and said that the prophet Isaiah uh, made this prophecy 400 years before Jesus was born, um, and that is actually incorrect. Now I wrote the script for her, so please don't send her any sternly worded emails about the inaccuracies in her presentation <laughs> of the word. Uh, but I'd caught that mistake in my head as I was as I was you know working on my notes this week. And I couldn't find anywhere in my notes that I'd made the mistake. But in my head, I was like, I know I made this mistake somewhere, and I couldn't find it. And then this morning, I discovered where it was. It was in the Advent reading that I'd written earlier in the week. So anyways, glad that's all out there. Um, Anyhow, that passage is from the prophet Isaiah. Uh, We're going to pick up that passage today, starting in verse 1 of chapter 9. And the prophet writes, Nevertheless... There will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he being God, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he's going to honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. I don't know why I feel this way, but but I feel like every time I read a passage that says something like the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, that, or Naphtali, that everyone in the room's eyes are going to glaze over a little bit, and they're going to start to feel very bored and disconnected from what is going on. Maybe in your mind you're thinking, what is this guy Isaiah talking about? I don't, I, you know, I don't care about those places. Um, and so hopefully today, as we look at this passage of Scripture, you'll be able to connect a little bit more with the story, and even phrases like that will have some more significant meaning for you. Uh, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to be together in your presence and in the presence of one another. We know that uh, your presence is an everlasting source of peace in our lives and hope and comfort and satisfaction. Um, And we know that you bring each of us into each other's lives to bring that presence uh, through the unique ways that you've gifted us and shaped us and made us to bring that presence into the world and into the lives of people around us. And so we thank you for the way that you work. We thank you for the way that you are drawing us together. And we ask that you would speak to us during this time in your word today and our hearts to just be transformed by our time with you. In Jesus' name, amen. So what is Isaiah talking about? We have to rewind from Isaiah, uh, Rewind from the story of, of the gospel, all that. We have to go back a few hundred years. We have to go back to the seventh, uh, 700s BC. Uh, at this time, Judah and Israel are two separate kingdoms. Uh, Judah is the kingdom where David uh, was from. He, he reigned over Judah. Judah is the, the remaining tribe that kind of holds through all the way. It's where uh, the Jewish people are primarily from that tribe. Um, and then Israel was this kingdom made up of of 10 of the other tribes in the north that had separated and these two kingdoms were at war with each other. And during this war, Ahaz, who was the king of Judah, 
appeals to the emperor of the Assyrian Empire and says, I need you to come and help me in my battle against Israel's king, Pekah. And Assyria comes and helps. And so in 2 Kings chapter 15, Syria, Assyria comes in and, I mean, ironically summoned by Judah, comes in and attacks Israel, conquers the northern territories, referring to Zebulun and Naphtali, and makes the first deportation of God's people from the land. So God's people were enslaved in Egypt. God delivered them. He gave them this land. And over the next few hundred years, they kind of waffle between following the Lord and being faithful to him and falling away. And the prophets keep coming and saying, if you continue to refuse to follow God, if you're not faithful to Yahweh, you are going to lose this land. You're going to be dispossessed of these blessings of being his people. And this is the first step of that happening. This is the first group of people who were in the promised land who got taken out there in 2 Kings 15. And so these towns in this region in in northern Israel, this area around the Sea of Galilee, this part that the prophet Isaiah is referring to, this is the first conquered territory in Israel. And these are the first people who are taken into exile. About a decade later, the whole entire northern kingdom falls and Assyria takes uh, all of them into exile. Um, And then a little over a century later, Judah falls and Babylon takes all of them into exile. Uh, But this is where the fall starts. This is where the shame begins. This is where the people of God are faced with the brokenness of their sin and the consequences of it. This is where it all started, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. And so Isaiah is saying, there's going to be no more gloom in these places. In the past, these were the lands that were humbled by God. These were the first places to fall. And yet in the future, God is going to honor them. The prophet's claiming that the beginning of this transformation of Israel's shame into the glory of God is going to happen in these places where the shame first broke out. Jesus was known as a Nazarene. He was from Nazareth. Nazareth is a town in the region of Galilee. Jesus was Galilean. Yes, he was born in Bethlehem, the city of David, but he was raised in Galilee. His birth in Bethlehem was symbolic of his divine right to rule as Israel's king, right? He's he's from the line of David. He's going to be king. But the two places that Jesus was raised, first in Egypt and then in Galilee, are nods to Israel's shame, are symbolic of the fact that this one is not just the king of Israel, but he's the redeemer of Israel who is going to take our defeat and our oppression and he's going to turn it into Israel's victory in Israel's freedom. This is so important because this is the story of redemption that's told over and over and over in Scripture. And then it's told over and over and over in our world, right? That this is what our God does. He uses humanity's greatest shame as conduits where his glory becomes revealed. He reveals his glory in broken humanity. So often as human beings, when we find ourselves broken, if we take enough time to reflect on ourselves and discover that there's brokenness there, if we give up on the habits of living in denial of it or self-medicating through any numbers of pleasures or, or revelries this world offers, if we take a moment to realize we are broken, 
there's a temptation in that to hide, to want to cover up that brokenness, to say, here's, you know, cover up that crack. Don't let anyone see it. And yet it's through those cracks in us that God's light breaks out and shines the brightest. And so Isaiah is saying in verse 2, he says it's from Bethlehem. It's from these lands of Zebulun and Naphtali, from this place where Israel's greatest shame existed, from the, the first places to fall, the first places to break. It's from that place that it's going to be said. Verse 2, the people who are walking in darkness have seen a great light. And on those who are living in a land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. He says, you've enlarged the nation and you've increased their joy. They're going to rejoice before you as people would rejoice at the harvest and as warriors would rejoice when they're dividing the plunder. What's the prophet saying? He's saying, look, I know Israel just lost a war. People were taken away in captivity. But now God is saying that in this period of darkness, don't lose hope. Don't let go of the hope that you have. The light is going to come. The light is going to dawn. God is going to move and there's going to be rejoicing again. There's going to be victory. In the end, Israel's sin and their falling away from God and then being dispossessed of the land and all that comes with that, he says that's not going to have the final say over God's defeated people. Those who were defeated are going to be victorious. Now, he's saying this to people who are pretty far removed from victory. I, I don't know that any of us have ever experienced being dispossessed of our land. Um, although every year I get my property tax invoice from the county, and I just feel more and more like I'm renting my house from them. How did this happen? I bought my home, and now I'm renting it from Callitz County. Anyhow, none of us have actually been dispossessed of our land, but we know what it's like to be defeated at times. Probably all of us have walked through challenging seasons or moments when it felt like we're losing everything. And it's to people in this place where the prophet is now speaking. And so he does some one thing that's really, really helpful. He draws their minds back to the victory that was, to the things that God had done in the past, his faithfulness. He reminds them of their history. He, he brings up a story from the book of Judges, which we were in a series on the book of Judges before summer started. So I know all of you just remember everything that was talked about there. But in verse 4, he says, this victory is going to be like it was in the day of Midian's defeat. Do you remember that? Do you remember what it was like when, when Gideon led us into battle? We conquered Midian. He says, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them and the bar across their shoulders. Do you remember what it was like when you were oppressed and, and enslaved and then God set you free from that? This is what it's going to be like. He's going to break the rod of their oppressors. This is deliverance. And he says this one who is born in Bethlehem is going to bring deliverance and victory. It's going to be like when Gideon delivered us from the Midianites. It's going to be like those times in the past when God moved and did beautiful things and set us free. And those who have oppressed us will be no more. This is going to be a final victory. He says that every warrior's boot that's used in battle and every garment that's been rolled in blood, it's all going to be fuel for the fire. It's destined for burning. For unto us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government is going to be on his shoulders, and he is going to be called the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. 
Imagine what it was like to, to be the people of Israel who were receiving Isaiah's words uh, in the decades that immediately preceded or came right after the defeat, because he was alive right around that time when Assyria came in and, and first cleaned house. And they hear him saying that God is going to do something incredible. He says to Israel, that's weeping in their pain and feeling hopeless and defeat, he says to them, have hope. It's not always going to be this way. God has a plan to restore us. The oppressor's days are numbered. You read some of that war lingo and the garments rolled in blood and the war boots and the fuel for the fire. And no wonder when Jesus came, all the religious zealots were ready to take up arms and fight against Rome, right? They're like, praise God, the deliverer is here to save us from the Romans. Because in their minds, that's who the oppressor is. And probably when Israel was carried off into captivity and Isaiah's first saying these words, I'm sure different Israelites that heard his words are thinking, all right, the Messiah might be here and God's going to deliver us from the Assyrians. And then a few decades later, God's going to deliver us from the Babylonians. A few decades later, God's going to deliver us from the Persians and then the Romans. And the list of oppressors and enemies goes on and on and it's always changing. Because... People walking through life in a broken world, it's always changing who we feel our enemies are, who we feel is oppressing us. But to understand the Messiah's true mission, we have to remember one thing from this story. This ties back to our series and Judges as well. Why was it that Israel ended up oppressed? They ended up oppressed because of the sin and the rebellion in their own hearts. The theme in our series in the book of Judges was, who is Israel's greatest enemy? Who is Israel's greatest enemy in that book? It was Israel. I'm so glad someone remembered it. This is incredible. He's not a plant, folks. He's not a plant. That was authentic memory right there. Gold star. The greatest enemy of Israel was Israel. And the scriptures and the spirit are constantly reminding the people of God to look inward first. When we're trying to attempt, when we're attempting to identify the enemies or the oppressors in our lives. Israel's greatest enemy is Israel. The cause of Israel's fall was Israel. And when we look around for someone to blame, so often we're skipping the opportunity we have as the people of God to stand in his presence and take a long, hard look in the mirror. And that doesn't mean that everything that's going wrong or hard in your life is all your fault, but let's not miss that important uh, let's not miss that important step to take an account, to say, Lord, how much of this is my brokenness? Being reminded that it's through our brokenness that God's light gets to shine. The scriptures and the spirit remind us to look inward, and it's these same sources of wisdom that are constantly pushing our minds to look inward when we're looking for someone to blame or looking for the cause of our pain, looking for an enemy, and it also always reminds us to be looking outside of our circle when we're attempting to identify those who are chosen by God as people of his grace. For example, we've just read about God's promise to the redemption of Israel, right? God's going to use these broken places in Israel to be miraculous conduits of his restoration of his light. Their greatest shame and pain is going to be the glory of God. 
And yet Isaiah isn't done talking about this great light of redemption that's coming. Later in his recorded prophecies, he has these words to say about the Messiah. It's from Isaiah 49. He says, it is too small of a thing for you, the Messiah, it's too small of a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and to bring back those of Israel that I've kept. It's too small to just be focused on one group of people. He says, I am also going to make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation would reach to the ends of the earth. The prophet says it isn't enough that God would just use Israel's brokenness to save Israel. God has a bigger plan for revealing his goodness in the world. He says it's too small of a thing for God to simply be focused on the people who are in that one little group. I like to think this is the biblical way of our catchphrase at Renewal, that Jesus is for everyone. The light from Galilee and Nazareth doesn't just shine on the sons of Jacob. This light is meant to shine to the ends of the earth. The prophet says this light is going to rise in Galilee, and then it's going to be a, a, a light for everyone. It's going to shine all the way to the ends of the earth. It's going to shine even into the Gentiles' world. It's going to reach to the furthest and the farthest dark corners of our world. The prophet says this child that's born to us, he's going to be called the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And then he continues and says, and of the greatness of his government and his peace, there will be no end. He's going to reign on David's throne over his kingdom, and he's going to be establishing and upholding it with righteousness and justice from that time on and forever. Advent is a time when we reflect and look back on the fact that this light has dawned. We live in a dark world, yes, but there is light. This light has dawned. And when, when the light begins to shine, it changes the way we see everything. And his light shines brightest in our brokenness, in the cracks, in the separation. Well, I was spending a couple of months on sabbatical. One of the, the separations or cracks in my life that I feel like God revealed so clearly to me was the fact that for most of my adult life, I have coped with pain or disappointment by disassociating myself from my emotions. And that can be a helpful way to keep going and stay active and, and stay productive because I rarely would get discouraged. I rarely would feel down. I rarely would ever feel offended. Um, I rarely would feel most things. <laughs> and yet... That's a great way to drive the people around you nuts, especially the people who are closest to you in your lives. And it resulted in me being a compulsive workaholic, which robbed the people in my life who I care about the most of all kinds of relational opportunities to have me have face-to-face -face interactions with them, for them to feel really connected to me. And as God has revealed that separation in my life, and I've been able to come to grips with that and realize this is a part of me that's just broken. It's been amazing to watch him fill that place with his light and with his grace. To the point that I feel different. I joked earlier, this is my first, this is my second Sunday here. My first Sunday back was last Sunday. And um, 
I truly feel like a different person. I've been in God's presence and he has changed me. And I, you know, the achiever in me can be like, how many years I wasted not connecting deeply with people. How terrible. But the person of faith in me says, Lord, how beautiful is your redemption. And the wasted years don't matter. And I'm just thankful to be here, to really be here. This, this is all of me. This is the first time that all of me has stood on the stage and preached. I'm so grateful to be here, all of me, with all of you. And I just want to encourage you through this season um, to allow God's light to shine, to allow your brokenness to be revealed, and to allow him to fill those things with his grace and with his light, and to be a community that lives that out with each other and brings that light into each other's lives. I don't know how we do it without allowing the light to shine through our cracks, which requires a degree of vulnerability um, that is probably rarely practiced in Western American Christianity. We're far more prone to, to try and act like we have it all together. And yet, thank God, he delivers us from all things. And so, um, yeah, let's, let's be that. Um, I want to turn our attention to the Lord's table today. And uh, partly because this is what makes it all possible, right? Jesus' sacrifice. His light fills my broken places and it fills your broken places because Jesus paid for it all. Because Jesus allowed himself to be taken captive. Because Jesus surrendered his life so that his people could be set free. Because Jesus died so that his people could live. And so grace is kind of this really messy kind of counterintuitive thing that operates in our world and yet it's also not something that simply you know erases sin without any consequence the beauty of it is that God came and bore that those consequences on himself and so every week we gather around the Lord's table to remember his sacrifice to remember the significance of what he's done for us to remember the costliness of our sin And today, as we approach his table, I just want us to be mindful of that. Last week, Ryan raised a glass and we shared a toast, imaginary glass, and we shared a toast together, you know, in celebration of mine and my family's return. Um, It was short-lived because Brody had a basketball game this morning, so Laura's over there (laughs) hanging out with him. So we're we're half a family today, but tis the season, I guess. Um, Anyhow, I had that in my mind thinking about communion today. And usually when we raise a glass, it's like this super celebratory thing, right? Like, woohoo! Um, but I want, I want us to, in our minds, maybe at work, you know, there's, there's the cups on the table. Maybe if you've got a cup in front of you, go ahead and raise a glass. Like, hold up in your mind, in a prominent place, this sacrifice that Jesus has made. His blood that's been poured out for us. His broken body broken and bruised for us. This is what it takes to fill our broken places with his light. Let's not let that sacrifice be for nothing because we're too ashamed to hide our broken places or because we refuse to be real about what's going on in our hearts or in our lives or in the lives of people that we love. This season is a season to come together and allow that light to permeate our whole community. And so... um, 
as we approach the table today. Let's do it that way. So, Lord Jesus, we lift your sacrifice in our minds to that prominent place. And with the cross before us and the awareness of your suffering before us, we just confess that we are broken people. And we thank you that in the places in us that were formerly humbled and broken, in the places in us where tragedy began, Lord, it's in those places that your Savior's light shines first. It's in those places that your peace and your deliverance um, changes everything. And so we invite your presence into those places today. We believe that your sacrifice is sufficient. If our Savior could lift the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali to glory in calling them home for so many of his years, Lord, you can lift our broken places to glory that they would be home for the kingdom people that you're calling us to serve for many years to come. We thank you for your grace working in our lives. We thank you for your grace working in our community. We thank you for your body broken for us and your blood poured out for us, sealing the new covenant where you no longer count our sins against us. As we receive your body and your blood today and as we worship you and close in our service, we just ask that your spirit would fill each of us afresh in a new way. Fill us with your light, God. May it shine forth as we go out from here this week. In Jesus' name.